0: i am i'm proper disorganized today you're live proper disorganized today, largely because if you have a look at the photo that i tweeted let's call it 20 minutes ago uh, i shared some photos of my office and what we've been doing with the acoustic paneling now how far back does this go goes back to sometime last year where we had this design because we've been doing a bunch of work around the house and one of the things we wanted to do is just make this office since it seems to be where i spend all my time a lot of my time these days make it extra extra awesome and we had this design for acoustic paneling and they they started installing it and basically wasn't exactly what we had in mind and then months and months passed as they fixed stuff and then this last uh, last couple of days, they've been redoing it, and they've they got it right up to a point. <laughs> if you look at the photos I just tweeted, the photos actually look really really cool. And basically, they got to a point where it's like, okay, some of this stuff just doesn't fit. So we we got this whole wall in front of me has got acoustic paneling, and then the part of my ceiling has got it, and it looks like the bits that are there just look epic, but. It meant taking everything in front of me off the walls, and if you're not familiar with what's in front of me, you're going to have a look at the photos I tweeted, and then taking everything out of the office and just, you know, what it's like when you've got your desk and your PC and everything set up perfectly, and then you have to pull it all apart. Yeah, well, that's what it's been like. So, it did delay me somewhat. It's not exactly what I had in mind. Let me uh, let me talk about sponsor, and I will come back and share more about the office when the paneling is done and when my new desk arrives, which I think is going to be sometime next month as well. Uh, I got a good run out of this one. I got, I think I got twelve years out. of I reckon that's pretty good for something that you're so dependent on every day. Sponsor this week is Collide. Collide believes that maintaining endpoint security should mean compromising employee privacy. It's always this nexus, isn't there? Security and privacy. Check out our manifesto, Honest Security. Certainly can't argue with that as a sentiment. Client, Honest Security, version 1.0, a guide to endpoint security and device management that doesn't erode your values. I actually, should go through and read this. The Tenants of Honest Security, five tenets. The values your organization stands behind should be well represented in your security program. This is not script, well... Their stuff is written, but I wasn't planning on going through all this. But as you may have noticed, my topic for this week is just like as many data breaches as I could fit in the space I had available. So it is going to be very impromptu today, in part because I was rushing. Number two, positive working relationship between the end user and the security team is incredibly valuable and worth fostering. How many of you have been in an organization, maybe an organization now, where there's not a lot of mutual respect between individuals and security team? I remember what it was like. At Pfizer. (laughs) I don't know if it's different there now. But there was this constant constant feeling that the security team got in the way and no one really liked them. They were just basically an impediment to whatever you wanted to do. Very often the whole IT team was an impediment to what you wanted to do. Security team didn't really trust anyone else. It wasn't harmonious. Number three, this relationship is built on a foundation of trust that is demonstrated through informed consent and transparency. It's amazing how often transparency comes up as just a really important value. I would argue an important value beyond security as well, beyond InfoSec. Number four, the security teams should anticipate and expect that end users use their company-owned devices for personal activities and design their detection capabilities with this in mind. That seems very sensible because it is, right? I did a talk, that's what I should talk about. I did a talk in Sydney two days ago and uh, and they ran a poll and, and the poll was, in fact, the poll was a little bit the inverse of this. The poll was, uh, how many of you have used a personal device for work activities in the last hour? And like 66% of people are like, yes. That's what happens. Number five, last one, end users are capable of making rational informed decisions about security risk when educated and honestly motivated. Now, I got to the bit where it said, capable of making rational informed decisions about security risks and then i went oh geez i'm not going to agree with something my sponsor said but (laughs) when educated and honestly motivated i do actually like that educated and honestly motivated go and check it out go and have a read of this this is actually really good stuff honestly i hadn't read it until just now not through the details comments Stephen. morning troy uh, Adventure Matt says, uh, "What panels did you end up using?" So these are panels for a company called Ortex, and the, the reason we're using Ortex is we've got friends, neighbours close by who own the company, uh, which it is making for interesting discussions now when things aren't quite right. But <laughs> the, the the product is actually really, really cool. A U T E X. When this is all done, I will write it up and I will put really cool photos and everything in a blog post because everything. I can, the, the vision is starting to, I can glimpse it. I can see where we're going to get to the vision. Stephen David, Troy, it's really a culture thing, which I think probably comes back to the the Clyde messages there. Culture is definitely a big thing. Security is the business, and the business needs to feel comfortable with weaving security in day-to-day business activities. So there certainly needs to be harmony, doesn't there? That's a good way of putting it. Harmony, and I think the mutual respect thing is, uh, which sort of came up here in the in the five bullet points from Clyde as well, is very, very important. The the honesty and the transparency bit. We certainly did not always feel that in my last corporate life. Juan is in New York City. Well it must be late in New York City. Welcome <laughs> in the middle of the night. Mitch says photos are great. Mitch has seen the photos of the desk. Now that is all I had prepared because I just went data breaches, data breaches, data breaches. Jason is in rainy Toowoomba. Toowoomba is a very long way from New York, not just distance-wise, but having been to Toowoomba a few times. Yeah, a bit rainy here on the Gold Coast too. Uh, Toowoomba's a couple of hours' drive away from here, For everyone listening, uh, which is a shame because my vision today was of Charlotte. This is one of the fun things we do these days, either together or with, with tourists. We hire line bikes, like e-bikes. So we basically walk out our front door, walk yeah you know, up to 10 minutes, find a couple of e-bikes, and then we just ride down the beach. And it's normally like crystal blue water, clear sky, sun shining, you know, beautiful people walking around <laughs> in their beachwear. And you're just like cruising down the beach for about half an hour down to our favourite brewery. And then you go in there and you sit there, have a couple of nice beers, get an Uber home, it's good day out. I think we're going to do that anyway. Juan says it's 9.20pm. Oh, that's not so bad. I might have been thinking P.S. P- Ah, screw it! I don't. I don't travel anymore. Who knows? Stephen says Melbourne's nice today. No, it's not. <laughs> Shame it's quarantine. Thanks to catching car, co- oh, you got COVID. Gee, it's such a common thing now, isn't it? Robert Cook, I'm Gold Coast, and also know the owners of Ortex. Go the Warriors! All right, so uh, so he knows the owners of this company, Kiwi couple, uh, also own a rugby club in New Zealand, and that is about as much I know about rugby. Crisp and Gorgeous and NZ bathe plenty. Here that's very nice, NZ is certainly on our list of things to do soon. Actually our next travel is tomorrow. Uh, we're going to, and it's a driving travel, but we're going to the location where we're having our wedding, five weeks from today for the wedding. Counting down, are actually genuinely, genuinely very, very happy and very excited about it. Let me talk data breaches. That wasn't to try and change <laughs> the wedding topic. There's been a few things happen this week actually. Uh, and you know what, let me just jump straight to the thing that I think has been the most interesting, which is Question Pro. Now, Question Pro was a breach that I loaded, when was it, last week, I think. Let's go and check the complete chronology here. August 5, which by my clock is eight days ago, so I spoke about that in last week's weekly update. Now, I've subsequently done a thread on this, which talks about I guess what we're seeing after the breach has reached the reached the public psyche. Let's say. Now, someone sent me data allegedly from Question Pro, and I, I spoke about this last week, so we'll be brief. But now, I reached out to Lawrence Abrams at Bleeping Computer because it was one of these ones where it's not immediately obvious where it came from, and I just had I just had like the spidey sense of. This is going to be a not fun disclosure if I have to go through this. So, journo's are great at doing disclosure because they're very good at being persistent, getting responses. They have a public channel that they can write about it from. Uh, guys like Lawrence are great at actually getting getting action on things like data breaches of, of Question Pro because they will get the publicity for it. So, Lawrence wrote this up in his discussion with Question Pro. Uh, There are probably two main themes that are worth noting here. So one is they said they got uh, extorted by someone who obtained this data, which is super, super shitty, illegal, criminal, uh, really bad things happen if you get caught trying to extort a company for money, whether it be for a data breach or anything else. So terrible stuff. Undeniably question pro the victim on that. But number two is that they would only give very wishy-washy answers about whether it was legitimate or not. And, in fact, the only thing they're really saying is, ongoing investigation, working with law enforcement, uh, can't comment on whether it's legitimate or not. And it's like, there's 22 million email addresses in here. Like you, you you actually need to do something about this. So, I put in, have I been pwned? I send... I think some number of tens of thousands of emails to my subscribers, 4.25 million subscribers at the moment. So there's always a big intersection now with the new data breach. And um, <laughs> one of the one of the first things, I think I mentioned this last week, is I discovered that I was in there. My email address, my old hotmail address was in there, uh, which is not great, but it's just an email address. As far as data breaches go, it's not too severe. So anyway, email address is in there. Um I share a bit of what's there uh, in my own personal record, which really is basically like a timestamp, and that's pretty much it. Where it gets a bit interesting, if I sort of cut down to the more relevant bits, is when I send notifications, and it's going to tens of thousands of people, inevitably some people start joining dots that are actually really, really useful in the process of verifying whether it's legitimate or not. Because I went out and I said, okay, unverified breach because they won't respond. I don't have enough information to sort of pass my confidence level. I'm very careful about not misattributing breaches. So here's where it gets interesting. Someone kept this mail from the 25th of March, 2011, clearly from Question Pro. Now what's happened is someone has been sent a survey. So remember Question Pro does surveys. And this survey is like hi uh, obfuscated name. We'd love to we'd love to get here what you've got to say about GIFGAF. We'd love to get here. Uh, anyway, typo. We've randomly selected around seventeen hundred members to answer a few questions, blah 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 blah. Down the bottom, powered by survey analytics, hover over that, it links to questionpro.com. So they got an email from Question Pro on Friday the 25th of March 2011 at 3:12 in the afternoon. So this is the email that they have in their inbox. Now separately to that we go to the data set we look up this person's record and there is a timestamp in there of the 25th of March 2011. Now that is the data set isn't it? Pretty sure it was. 25th of March 2011. Uh, Now, obviously, some time zone differences here. They received the email at 3.12 in the afternoon. The timestamp is at 12.50 in the afternoon. I thought the minutes might line up there. Regardless, it's like more than 11 years ago, exactly the same day. What are the chances that maybe this data that's come allegedly from Question Pro is actually legitimate when the date lines up perfectly with the person over here. So that was one. Um, his data also had a username in it, which he explained in his response to me, that redacted username, was my GIFGAF, which is a UK mobile phone network, subsidiary of O2 Telefonica. The username is in fact the very, uh, is in fact the survey was about GIFGAF tends being related. Okay, so exactly the same GIFGAF username is in his record, allegedly, from Question Pro. And there's another one which is uh, emails it was in French or from Quebec from the 18th of Feb last year. So someone else um, kept an email. This one's only 18th of Feb last year, 18 Feb 2021. And then you go to their record from the alleged, <laughs> we're going to start saying alleged soon, alleged data breach. And it's like 18th of Feb 2021. So you see how you get these two very independent sets of data starting to line up. And in and of themselves, they are not emphatic proof of the breach. But remember, there's almost like a gauge, right? And so, okay, my confidence level is increasing, increasing, increasing as I start seeing this stuff. There's another one in here. Um, Dubai Mall. Someone says, look, um," he got a notification from Have I Been Pwned to an email address, which it wasn't exactly this, but it was like Dubai Mall at mydomain.com. And he's like, the only place I've ever used this is at Dubai Mall. And then you go to, uh, he's, he's got this email address. He had a date there, which then lined up with the data in the system. Uh, and then I have a feeling there was something else in that data, which then also tied it back to Dubai Mall. Uh, and then there was another one here, which was the same sort of thing. So over and over and over again, you get all these dots lining up. Now to, to, to pause for a second here, you've got question pro sitting there going, we don't know if there's a breach, not a breach, we're investigating, law enforcement, lawyers, yada, yada, yada. And everyone else out there is like being the detective figuring this out for themselves so that the narrative is being shaped by a combination of journalists, people, and data breaches and me. And the organisations left a vacuum. And I, I talk about this so many times where organisations aren't handling data breaches well. And I'll, I'll literally talk to them and go, you guys are creating a vacuum where other people are filling it with their version of events and you don't get your version of events out there. Now, they might be right, I'm pretty sure everyone here is right, but they're setting the narrative. And you're not getting to do the we take your security seriously and you know identity theft protection, and blah, 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 narrative, other people are making it up for themselves. Anyway, it goes on and on and on, this thread I keep adding to it. It does look like in the last few days, Question Pro have notified some people, which makes me wonder. Let's check my hotmail old, old address. They have notified some people that they were in a data breach. But I've had contact from, like, organisations uh, saying, we have used this service for our customers to run surveys we have not heard from question pro we don't know which of our customers are impacted can you tell me and it's like look i am not going to give you the, the, the data there's apis and things you can query and probably work it out for yourself but y- you see the problem the void it creates let's have a look in this old hotmail address do i have anything from question pro that'd be really nice uh no not looking like it nope nope I I could email them from my Hotmail address and ask my data, but I don't know if I'm their favorite person right now. So we'll see where that comes out. I have actually changed the classification from unverified to verified, which is what just about everything I've been pinned is, simply because my confidence level got to that threshold where it's like, yeah, yeah this is going to be real. Okay, so that's one data breach. Another data breach. I'm really just going to the top of my head here. Many people have pointed out that Uh, there was a twitter incident which appears to be largely a scraping incident which has impacted some number of millions of individuals and this has been in the news for a couple of weeks now twitter has this week just over the last couple of days come out with uh, not only a statement about this they did that a little bit earlier but they've also been contacting individuals and letting them know i do have the data someone has sent me the data i'm not in there A lot of other people I know are in there just based on people having reached out to me saying, hey, they've got the Twitter notification. I did get in touch with Twitter and say, look, this is what I'm seeing, this is what I have, this is what's circulating, how are you going with your disclosure? And I I will say that Twitter was exceptionally good at the way they, certainly the way they interacted with me and the way their responses were. And as a result of that, I said, look, you know, I want you guys to get your disclosure done properly because what's what's my goal? That my goal is that people in data breaches know that they're in data breaches. Now, whether I do that from Have I Been Pwned or whether they do that from their service, so long as they're being fairly prompt about it and they were, let's say, fairly prompt about it within a week, then that's okay. So now that's going out, I will notify Have I Been Pwned subscribers that have been in there. Now that I've rebuilt my office, this is gonna be my job after I get off the uh, the live stream today. So very soon, many of you listening to this will get another notification. Sorry about that, I won't. Dodged that one. Okay, other data breaches. Now, possibly without naming precisely what these ones are, I'm just looking at my inbox and the volume of breaches that have been coming through. Again, from individuals just popping up going, hey, you know, I see Acme Core has been breached. I thought you might like the data it's really extensive. I mean, without naming who the organisations here, I just walk back chronologically through a very recent period of time, as in recent days. You know, there's one here that's got a million users uh, that looks like it might have been in the news already disclosed. Uh, That's not that. Uh, That's something completely different. (laughs) What else is in here? There's another one from here. 231,000 unique email addresses from an Italian service already in the news. There's another one here, 114,000. Uh, I already have been sent this one. It's a bit sensitive and I'm not sure if they know. There's another one here, two and a half million. Incidentally, all these so far, I, we were less than 24 hours ago. Two and a half million. I'm not sure what that service is. Uh, let's go back a little bit further. Another one here. Fifty-one million. That's going to take some processing. Another one here that rounds to eleven million. Uh we're, we're at Thursday <laughs> so far. Another one just before that, twenty-seven million. I have seen that one before. A little bit, a little bit difficult to attribute. It's just a, a flood of, of data breaches. So that's in the pipeline. Okay, coming here from. Guaymar, Guayma, Hello from sunny uh, Niagara Falls, Buffalo, New York, USA. I've not been to Niagara Falls yet. I've got No idea where it, I've been close. Certainly been in New York a bit. Okay. What else is here in my thread of data breach? Well, here's an interesting one. Shared a story from Krebs this morning, where <laughs> I'm just going to read. Krebs's description, and then we'll talk about it. He says, the admin of a cybercrime forum, Breached, there's a cybercrime forum called Breached, said they just received a cease and desist letter claiming the forum thread where the Mexican bank's data was being sold was fake news and harming the bank's reputation. Now, let me pause here for a second. (laughs) Someone running a forum exchanging data breaches in a criminal fashion Got a cease and desist letter. The admin responded by purchasing the data and leaking it. Now, <laughs> oh, you kind of shouldn't laugh because it, it, it is a criminal thing, but the tone deafness of an organization to reach out to a data breach forum operator with a C and D letter. The moderator here, Pompurian, says, pom-pom, pom-pompurian, pom. pom." I bought this data to leak with permission from the seller because Group IB, the Mexican bank, was sending emails to me complaining about it. They also attempted to submit DMCA against the website. Make sure to tell Banorte that they, that now they need to, that's the bank, that now they need to worry about the data being leaked instead of it just being sold. Next time, do not bother me. Data includes full name, full address, phone numbers, RFC, taxes IDs, emails, and balances. Okay, well, I guess um, I guess I better go find that. We'll add that to the list. Add that to the list. That's uh, at least that is now well and truly in the public domain. I don't need to disclose that, but I do need to verify that. I still need to verify it. It'll be interesting to see how they respond. So that's um, that. Possibly didn't work out so well for the bank again, I only touched on it very briefly, but just the tone deafness of this. The bank, the question pro stuff before, like this is not early days in the world of data breaches. We have so many precedents here about what actors will do with data that they've taken, what are appropriate responses. Um, Usually the ones involving lawyers are not in the best interest of the company because stuff like this happens. (sighs) One day... I should start a service which is like do your data breach management properly (laughs) but this is what the likes of you know the CrowdStrikes and the Mandians and all that sort of thing out there do very professionally but I I doubt that uh, I doubt that they're involved in the handling of incidents like the ones just here certainly they weren't providing PR advice. Uh, okay, so lots of comments there about that escalating very quickly. What else there in data breach land? Uh, oh, here's an interesting one. So it's not data breach specific. Bureau of Meteorology in Australia still doesn't do HTTPS. If you try and go to the Bureau of Meteorology over HTTPS, it will redirect you. So they do have a valid certificate. It will redirect you back to the HTTP website. Uh, and what it says is the Bureau of Meteorology website does not currently support connections via HTTPS. You will shortly be redirected to htp column for social. it's just insane 2021 uh other things this week ubiquity's got some nice gear unify protect ai theta so these thetas are really really small i think they're like basically two and a it wasn't two and a it must have been 25 mm across very very small cameras that tie into the Unified Protect ecosystem that if you want to mount in a way where they're, they're not sort of obtrusive and obnoxious, you can do that. They look really cool. I mentioned I was in Sydney this week. I was there on on Thursday. Jeez, that was a long day. Uh, I went and spoke at the uh, Next Gen Cyber Republic event there. I shared a photo of this, this stage. Apparently, this is often a nightclub. Uh, really sort of grungy look, which was actually really, really cool. Flew down to Sydney for that, had an extraordinarily long day after my flight got delayed, and then I got back late, and then I was buzzing, so I sat there and had a quiet whiskey late at night, and then got up at 5am, so yesterday was a very, very difficult day. Beats jet lag, though. That day, news broke a Cisco being hacked, so that was a big one. Ransomware, allegedly 2.8 gigabytes worth of data stolen, so that was a big one, too. Uh, Same time, Servers Australia, disclosing malicious activity, apparently Servers Australia uh, also got popped, which is an interesting one there. I hadn't heard of them before, but that was suddenly making a lot of news. Bob Diachenko, who always finds a huge amount of stuff, was talking about one of the largest EU-based virtual card operators with 67 million records exposed. Sender's name, email, date of birth, geolocation. A card's message. Receiver's name, email, geolocation. Sender's IP. So this sounds like cards, as in, like birthday cards, greeting cards, something like that. Wow, that is a lot of data. Now let me share what is possibly my most enjoyable moment of the week, <laughs> and, and I think after this we might start to wrap it up. Password purgatory. Now, I spoke about this last week <laughs> insofar as I'm now doing the logging, which is great. And it was good because just before I published the blog post, I had a spammer on the hook, leave some bad passwords. We all lolled because it was funny. Now, four days ago, I got another one on the hook. I'm not getting a lot on the hook. I am going to work on this. I think I need to work on my technique. But I got another one on the hook that just left the most hilarious series of responses, which must have absolutely driven them nuts, which makes me very, very happy. And in fact, from this, I have learned many things about how to improve password purgatory. So, (laughs) this spammer made 34 attempts to create a password that passes this crazy criteria. Those 34 attempts spanned a total of 896 seconds which is very close to 900 seconds, which is exactly 15 minutes, which is the cutoff that I do not allow any more attempts to be made after because I want to sort of lock it off and then share it publicly. So one of the things I learned is that there are spammers out there who will blow a quarter of an hour or more trying to pass stupid password complexity criteria. (laughs) This person starts with a password, which is your typical sort of shitty password that you'd expect people to use. F-F-I-O-N, 1330, exclamation mark. Exclamation mark at the end, capitalized first letter. How many times do we see that pattern? In fact, this is like the more serious, like slightly more serious part is password purgatory stuff. It's great that we get to sort of see insights that, that almost sort of reconfirm what we already know about how people create passwords. They know they're meant to have an uppercase, so they capitalize the first letter. They know they're meant to have a non-alphanumeric character, so they put an exclamation mark at the end. So... Password purgatory goes back to them. It says password must not end in exclamation mark. So they just take it out. Next one password must end with dog. (laughs) So they keep part of the password. No, password must start with cat. So they keep part of the password, but they just put cat at the front. Then password must end with dog. So they keep cat at the front and then they put DG at the end so they haven't spelt dog right. But because we randomised some of the criteria, the next response comes back and says password must contain at least one number. So they put back in the same 1330 that they had in the first attempt, after which it comes back and says password must start with cat. Didn't they already have cat in there? I don't know. That's a bit odd. Anyway, then it says password must start with cat again. I... I wonder have I got a bug? I need more data. I need more data. Anyway, they just keep going round and round and round again. And what's cool is it's like five seconds later, eight seconds later, twenty four seconds later, uh zero seconds later with one of these, and I think what they've done is they've just like pressed twice. So I might need to be a little bit resilient to that. Keep going, keep going, keep going. And then eventually a little bit, little bit later on, two hundred and forty six seconds later. So what's happened there? Four minutes. Uh the criteria at the attempt, two hundred forty-six seconds later, the password complexity criteria is none. So it says to me that they've done a fresh load of the page. So either they've clicked the link again from the email, or they press the refresh button. So I want to indicate that somehow, because the same thing has happened further down in a couple of cases where the criteria is none, and also the lead times longer: seventy-four seconds later, three hundred thirty-eight seconds longer. But they just keep going round, around, around, around. And at one point, there's like. Password must contain a bobcat. So they've got like cat, cat, dog, one dog, Peter, dog, bobcat. It says password must end in dog. So then they've whacked a dog on the end of that. Password must contain at least one primary Simpsons family character. So they've whacked a Lisa on the end of that. Now I got to be honest. There's a bit of me here which has wondered: Is someone playing me? Has someone gone to the effort of making a very legitimate? did I say legitimate spam email uh, uh, an email that genuinely looks like spam just so that they could play this game just so that I would then highlight their inane attempts because their resilience is remarkable on this anyway I don't know where it actually ultimately ends because after 34 attempts and 896 seconds I got to that 15 minute cutoff. what I want to do is I want to um, I want to try and understand more about why I'm not getting more people hooked because I'm dropping like on average several emails a day into this and I'm getting like one person a week so I would like to log when they open the email. So I'll put a little, you know, space a pixel or something like that in there, pass the ID back to an API endpoint. And so long as they're not blocking image requests, then at least I can see when the first time they've read the email, I want to record when they first go to the page because I want wonder how many people go to the page, but then they don't go through and actually fill this out. So just before I had to go away and do the, the, the Sydney talk, I started uh, playing around with Cloudflare worker key value metadata. So I thought I'd drop this in as metadata. We'll keep all the criteria and the answers there as data and everything else can drop there in there as metadata and then I can put that on the screen. So that will, uh, that probably won't be my job today because I'm gonna load data breaches today and then go and do the wedding stuff tomorrow. So that will be my next week job. Now look at the comments, Adam Marshall, there is no such thing as privacy anymore. Gonna have a good argument about this. (laughs) It's just a matter of time before information is breached and released. Sure, we should try to be secure, but it's only a matter of time. Thoughts? Yeah, I disagree. Um, <laughs> I, I think that, the cha- let me give you a more, a more comprehensive answer. I think the challenge here is that there is an inclination to use very binary statements. You know, There's no such thing as privacy, or privacy is dead. And, and in reality, privacy is changing. And there are areas of our life where we have less privacy. Uh, For example, we have to expect data breaches. This is how we got on this subject in the first place. But there are also many areas of our life where we we have either more privacy than before or at least a lot of control over privacy, either digital controls or social controls. So where do we have more privacy than before? Uh, We have a lot of end-to-end encrypted apps. Uh, If you use WhatsApp, end-to-end encrypted. iMessage, end-to-end encrypted. That is pretty amazing technology. And both of those work extraordinarily well. They're not 100% foolproof. If you pick up someone's device, there it is over there. If you pick up someone's device, you will see the messages because you are on the end where it's been encrypted. Um, but then we, we do have more controls as well. We can choose a lot of the time whether we want to leave our date of birth on a sign-up form. A lot of forums request a date of birth. You decide are you going to leave it there or not. We can choose many times. Uh, very often I'm in a shop and you buy something and they're like, hey, what's your email address? <laughs> I'm not telling you. I get to choose that. And then the, sort of the social controls. How much do we want to share on places like social media? Uh, some people are surprised with the amount of stuff that I share, particularly if it has photos of my kids or shots around the house where you could possibly work out where I live. That's very conscious. that's It's not an accidental thing. I decide, and equally... There are many things that happen in my life that I decide either not to share or I decide on the timing of which I want to share. So we have controls there. If there was no such thing as privacy, things would look very different. Uh, And and I'll give you another good example here. Let's pick a fun adult example. Uh, I wrote a blog post some time ago. Uh, What did I call this? Uh, Because, yeah, it's like victim shaming. Uh, it's not that I'm laughing about that topic, but the the way it's used, victim shaming. Let's see if that's it. Uh, when accounts are hacked due to poor passwords, victims must share the blame. There was a, another thing I wrote, and this is this will very very much address this specific question. Uh, Polaroid photo. Where is it? Ah, there's a blog post. Anyway, I'll just explain it. If you... Adam Marshall, <laughs> or anyone else listening to this, if you decide that you would like to capture intimate moments with your partner in your bedroom, you have every right to do so, and you should, by all reasonable measures, expect to have complete privacy, and that no one else other than you and your partner will ever have access to that information. Uh that is absolutely your prerogative and I think you should have every ability to do that. If you do that, you will create a risk that does not exist if you don't do that. I have not done that. (laughs) I'm choosing my words carefully here. I have many wonderful memories that I will keep in my brain but I have not digitized these things because if I digitize them, I will create a risk that didn't exist before. Now, the the example I'm thinking of, and I'm, it is in a blog post somewhere, is there was a news story about a, uh, a teacher who had taken intimate photos uh, and then one of their students had gained access to their phone and shared those photos. I think the teacher was gay as well and it was in a very conservative location, which of course made the whole thing even more sensational. I think the teacher got fired now this person had every single right in the world to do that and someone massively violated their privacy and then if it was as represented and ostensibly they were fired because of having these photos or because of being gay whatever it was, all of that is absolutely terrible. The point I was trying to make there, and as it relates to Adam's question here too, is that we do get to decide what risks we take around things like the digitization of data. And in fact, what I was trying to look for when I was looking for Polaroid in the blog post, I'd sort of said, look, if, if you really want to capture these moments, like get a Polaroid camera because you're, you're, you're th- your threat actor then is like someone who can break in your house and steal something physical as opposed to someone who gets an iCloud backup or someone who gets your phone because you've left it on a bar somewhere and then you've got a terrible pin or whatever else it may be. So we all get to decide how we take on risk and and maybe that the, the trick here is just knowing what activities are riskier than others exactly the same as people are worried about posting photos of their kids on social media they're worried about what might happen if someone else gets access to it or if the child later on decides that it was a privacy violation so everyone's sort of weighing up their own risk and deciding which ones i want to take and which ones they don't uh, just dropping down to your comment later adam he said uh, some require dob to use the site government for example and then they get breached now yes yes there are different ways of doing this so uh where was i the other day let's let's pick my pick the brewery i'd like to go to today if i go to precinct brewery uh precinct.com.au uh, can i just jump straight into the beers oh look at that <laughs> there's no age verification well there goes that example very often you will go to a website that, uh, let's say serves alcohol, the website doesn't serve alcohol, but it might be like a brewery or somewhere you can order alcohol or things like that. And it will say, before you enter this website, we just need to make sure that you're an adult, what's your date of birth? (laughs) I love this example because very often after a data breach where there's a date of birth exposed, I will tweet and I'll say, for God's sake, why did this website capture date of birth? Uh, and let, let's say it's not a brewery, but it will be a social media platform or a forum or something like that. And inevitably, someone will pop up and they say, well, you have to because of COPPA, the Child Online Protection and Privacy Act. Uh, you've got to be 13 to use the service. So you've got to ask for date of birth. And I'll say, well, no, you don't. You don't have to ask for date of birth. You just have to ask if you're 13 years old. Because that's the criteria. You must be 13. If I'm going to the brewery, then you must be 18. And invariably, someone responds and says, no, you can't do that because someone might lie. (laughs) I must one day plot this. But anecdotally, there is a large bias towards people born on the 1st of January when you look at dates of birth in a data set. So where I'm going with this, you can enter whatever you want, uh, if it is a service like a brewery. Now, if it's the government, different story. The government knows your date of birth because you've got a birth record, and then you've got tax returns, and you've got health insurance, or whatever else it may be. So in a case like this, to, to go back to your point, Adam the government does have this information and I think where it's actually a bit trickier is almost the bit in between. And I'll give you a good example of this. So the bit in between is where, and and to be clear, we're talking about static knowledge-based authentication data. So we're talking about KBA, which is used to help identify who you are and you cannot change it, hence being static. Mother's maiden name, same sort of thing. Now, the, the problem with this is that you've got to decide when you lie and when you don't lie. So uh, very often using things like security questions, good example. So one of the banks that I use has a bunch of security questions and it'll be things like mother's maiden name. And I just generate random shit with my password manager. (laughs) And then so long as you store it so that you can enter the same string again, you're fine. The problem is if ever I was to talk to my bank and they were to say, what is your mother's maiden name? That may cause problems. It's like, well, it's 40 characters, are you ready? The other thing is when you get back to the date of birth point, the the challenge there is that what happens, let's say it is a government thing, if they're trying to marry up two records, it's like, okay, you've just come in here and you've tried to claim a health benefit or something like this, but the date of birth isn't the same as the one we've got on your tax record. It doesn't join up. But again, it's, it's the government, they have this already. So you do have to be a bit selective with where you lie. And I've just seen you comment out. I'm saying always random garbage for that password manager. Yeah, so, and, and, and it, exactly, I, I agree with that. I think, um, look, security questions and answers are just absolutely atrocious in every single way possible. But you can do the random garbage thing so long as you don't have to relate to a human. Now, mind you, if you do have to relate to a human or if you think you might have to, you can always use your password manager to generate a passphrase. So with one password, for example, you can generate X number of random characters, or you can generate X number of random words, which are easier to relay to an operator on the end of a phone. Let's look at some of the other comments in here. Uh, Stephen on password purgatory, you need to make the lockout 15 minutes after the last attempt. Uh, Yes, yes, that is actually a much better way of doing that. Pull (laughs) requests, welcome, Uh, or I can do it myself. Stefan says, uh, good points on changing privacy. Thanks, Guy Another underestimated risk is changing legal landscape. Think overturn of Roe versus Wade abortion ruling. So data that you might not have been worried about uh, then becomes problematic. Yeah, that's a reasonable comment. So what happens if something changes in the future that makes data that you don't worry about today something that you do worry about more later on? Uh, I, I I would argue that things like date of birth we never used to worry too much about. And then we started putting it on our bloody social media profiles. Or you'd have a birthday and then there'd be a cake and there'd be photos and congratulations and things. Anecdotally, again, I have no evidence to this, but I do feel like our dependency on DOB is actually decreasing a bit as we get other ways of doing uh, authentic <laughs> identity verification. And so on. I hope so. I hope that's true. Merrick, I've recently found a portal I've been asked to use that was vulnerable to enumeration, lack of access controls, etc. It's quite tricky to figure out what kind of response one can demand from the provider. You're very right. And particularly for something like enumeration, it would be easy to demonstrate the problem. And this is where we often see people get themselves into trouble. Uh, I, I have one, in fact, I have two examples that come immediately to mind that I've used many times before. A guy called Patrick Webster here in Australia found a vulnerability in a superannuation portal, and this was superannuation is like a 401k in the in the US retirement funds. Found a number in the URL, changed the number, he got someone else's data, and just to make sure it wasn't an accident, he changed it another 100,000 times. <laughs> now, <laughs> let's see where the problem is there, and and the other one, which is someone that we have a lot less sympathy for, is uh, Andrew Orenheimer, also known as Weave. AT&T, iPad registrations, this must have been about 10 years ago, uh, same sort of thing. Um, go and do your own Googling on him if you want to know why we have less sympathy for him. But in, in these cases, they're, they're situations where the, the individuals felt that they wouldn't get the right response unless they demonstrated the problem. VTech data breach, same sort of thing. Hong Kong toy maker, the, the person who sucked all the data out of there, l- literally told Lorenzo at, at the time, gee, this must be like 2015, said, Look, if, if we didn't pull all the data out, I didn't think I'd get a, I'd get a good response from the company. And, and he may very well be right. I mean, look at the responses from organizations like Question Pro, you know, just not handling this right. So there is the temptation to enumerate, to make the point. Uh, now, it doesn't sound like you've done this, but I, I wouldn't do that. I, I don't think that's a very good idea because it's, it's one thing to reach out to a company and say, hey, I changed a number once and saw someone else's record because the company can then talk to that person and say, look, we need to let you know someone else saw your data, uh, but they proved the point. They stopped their job done. When it's 100,000 records, well, now there's a mass disclosure process that needs to happen and often law enforcement and disclosure to regulators and all the rest of it and i think maybe the the takeaway from this is that it's you get to the point where it's it's sucky but it's okay just to walk away and just go look well i tried emailing them i reached out publicly i pinged troy troy asked publicly for a security contact on twitter so everyone's kind of got the idea by now ah, they didn't do anything walk away do something else Eventually, Matt, ever ordered alcohol via Uber Eats? Handing over your license for the random driver to photograph seems dodgy as. Bound to have privacy breaches somewhere along the way. Now, interesting you mention this because this happened to me for the very, very first time, only about a week ago. Uh, so someone had sent us a gift, and we got an alert. I think it was via Dan Murphy's here in Australia. And we got an alert saying you will need to show them your your driver's license, which has in Australia has your date of birth on it which we did, and it it did feel icky. But also what's weird about it is there are other services I use online to order like craft beer and stuff like that. And it's delivered by Australia Post, and there's no license check. So there's no consistency on this either. And I don't know why you have to do it with one and not with the other. Stephen says, well, try and use GitHub on my phone, or I can do it in two weeks. Don't use GitHub on your phone. Don't worry about it. We'll get to it. That was the lockout after 15 minutes. Okay, folks, well, I think I'm going to wrap it up there. I've now got to try and pick up a couple of days' worth of of lost productivity, which is a combination of being down in Sydney doing that event and also putting my office back together. Uh, And I'm sorry this is a little bit late. Uh, Next week, week I'm going to do it in the morning because Friday next week, I I am going snowboarding, which I'm very excited about because it has been a long time due to the COVID things. So I'm going to come to you from Friday morning my time, which will be about six and a little bit less days from now. And thank you very much for watching. Hope you have a good weekend. Cheers, folks.